from every perspective. Hunger, the story of the Irish famine. Tonight at 9 on WLIW 21. Tonight, cracking down on New York shoplifting surge, state lawmakers consider making retail workers essential employees and minor assaults against them a felony. Then, Albany cuts off the puppy mill pipeline, banning pet stores from selling dogs and cats. So where will your next furry friend come from as Metro Focus starts right now? This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, Philemon M. D'Agostino Foundation, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold. Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jenna Flanagan. New York City is facing a shoplifting epidemic with retail workers and business owners fearing they could be targeted next and it could turn violent. State lawmakers have taken notice, and there's now a push in Albany to better protect workers after shoplifting complaints nearly doubled last year in the city. Two of the legislature's newer members want to treat retail employees as essential workers similar to police or firefighters and make it a felony to commit even minor assaults against them. New York State Senator Jessica Scarcella Spanton of Staten Island in Brooklyn and Assemblymember Manny De Los Santos from Northern Manhattan are co-sponsoring this legislation and they join us tonight. Welcome to you both to Metro Focus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, first, I just want to start and uh, I will uh, basically um, Senator Scarcella Spanson, I'll start with you. Tell us about how this legislation came into being from your perspective. Of course, you know, the assaults on retail workers are something that we're very familiar with. I'm sure the assembly member can say the same as you are meeting with small business owners and speaking with your neighbors. This is a common issue that we hear throughout. We met with local business owners in our respective communities, both from Staten Island, Brooklyn, Manhattan, all five boroughs, who have a serious concern over the safety of their workers. So we want to do something to make sure that they feel safe in their workplace and also will prevent these future crimes from happening. And Assemblyman uh, De Los Santos, I'm wondering from your perspective, was this something where you, the request for someone to do something started to grow louder and louder and that's what got your attention or were you just paying attention to the trends and said wait a second there seems to be an uptick that isn't quite being addressed thank you both as i pretty much alluding to the senator just said conversations with um, business owner were constituent in my in my district everywhere i went it was public safety uh, we know the numbers of incidents from Brooklyn, from Queens, from Staten Island, from the Bronx and Manhattan. We had one in Hamilton Heights where one of the retail workers uh, was assaulted, had to protect himself. And we have seen numbers of uh, assaults on retail workers. And we're simply just asking for protection 
it's pretty much to me it's common sense but you know if we didn't do it now when and retail workers are waiting for uh, sort of like an opportunity to be protected and if we don't do it now i don't know when we're going to get it done i think the time is 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 important time is important in this matter and these are workers that have families they have kids they have wife and husband and there's no guarantee that some of these uh, retail workers will have a safety return home. And, you know, it might seem odd to uh, categorize retail workers in the same uh, space as um, firefighters or police officers, et cetera. But at the same time, if we think back to the even the height of the pandemic, the stores stayed open so people could still get, you know, the food and supplies that they needed. So one of the things I'm wondering is, do you see um, that this was a community or a particular group that perhaps because of the way that their jobs were thought of had, hadn't been properly protected? Yes, I could certainly say that we saw the importance of these workers. They were deemed essential during the pandemic. You know, thanks to them, we were able to get our groceries, take care of our families, and they deserve the same protections as any uh, as any essential worker. I could say there's a local deli in my community, Three B's Bagel Shop in West Brighton on Staten Island. They had three robberies, and on the last one, one of their um, employers was attacked. I came into the deli the next morning. He was punched in the face. It's a horrible thing. He has a family. He's an older gentleman, and it, to me, that's the kind of incentive that I have behind me to push this legislation to make sure it's done so these workers are treated with the dignity they deserve. And Assemblyman, that was one of the things I was going to build on also is, uh, were there examples, especially within your district, but that you were just hearing of retail workers who were being assaulted? In addition to that, a lot of these uh, retail workers, they live in my district. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes they have to wake up in the morning hop on the subway, drive, and no guarantee that, as I said before, that they'll make it home safety. I had businesses in my district that unfortunately have to close this door because of the ongoing robbery back and forth. And as we all know, the economy is not doing well, but the number one issue here is safety, right? They need to be treated with dignity. They need to be treated with respect. And we know that we protected police officer, firefighter, MTA workers, but retail workers, the reality is they in the front of the line uh, working day in and day out. So uh, to me, it makes sense for the Senator and I, it makes sense for them also to be treated as essential workers because they haven't stopped working. And their job involves um, a, a lot of, a lot of um, it, it has a lot of danger involved. We know that oftentimes there's money behind them and they become easy target when, when they expose and there's not enough protection given to them. Assemblyman, I'm also wondering, I mean, one of the things that uh, people who might, who perhaps aren't engaging with this in the same way you are might say, well, you know, the pandemic was really hard economically. And unfortunately, it pushed some people to uh, resort to shoplifting just to get the provisions that they needed to survive. Um, but I also understand that you wrote an opinion piece, if I'm correct, about frankly, who was suspected, the demographic that would be suspected for these crimes. Can you explain a little bit about why the original thinking that I laid out might not be uh, correct when it comes to this issue? The Hispanic uh, Chamber of Congress conducted a survey on amounts of data, and they, the service basically detailed that 
from 75 to 80 percent of assaults happening to retail workers. And through conversation with whether it's many for African American, Hispanic, Asian, um, indicated that there was an urgency need for this type of legislation. And given the, the number have not gotten down, crisis is going up. Everywhere I go, I, I get stopped by constituent regarding protection. To me, it makes sense that we do what's right and doing what's right is protecting all workers, not just MTA, not just firefighter, not just cops, but everyone who you know, goes out in the morning, have no safety or time return to come back. And I, to me, it doesn't make any sense why retail workers are not treated or should not be treated in the same category. This is why we're here in Albany, making sure that during this legislative session becomes a priority that the executive chamber along with the speaker, the, the governor and our colleague uh, vote to, to ensure that this law becomes a reality. And this again, this is not just protecting retail workers, but also we understand that when we protect retail workers, we're protecting families of New Yorkers. Senator, I'm also wondering, uh, for people hearing this, they might say that this sounds similar, if you will, to the push to roll back bail reform. And I'm wondering, how do you respond to that criticism? I think that we are trying to just make sure that we're encompassing things that make sense in regard to public safety. It's looking at the law really closely and fixing what needs fixing. And this, to me, is a very common sense approach to keep our retail workers much more safe. A lot of times, these are people who work non-traditional hours. They're working in the middle of the night. They're commuting in the middle of the night. They're acting as not just a cashier, but security, as we see this up uh, this uptick in shoplifting. So to me, it's just a common sense measure to add additional safeties in and make tweaks and amendments where we see fit. And this question is for both of you, but Assemblyman, I'll start with you. Um, for people who, again, might not fully grasp, because a lot of the times when we hear about shoplifting, it seems like a one-off, like somebody broke into this bodega, this store, they stole this, that, and a third, and perhaps, unfortunately, a retail worker was assaulted in the process. But is this part of a larger crime ring, or are these just simply a bunch of one-offs that we're talking about? It's mixed. Uh, the reality is that we we just, just don't know what's next, right? Is 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 waiting for an accident to happen, and New Yorkers can no longer wait for incidents, for assaults, for crimes to continue to go up, for for our residents, constituent New Yorkers to become victims. So we're trying to to find a solution, an immediate solution to the ongoing um, crimes that are continuing to increase. And the bottom line is that this is about protecting New Yorkers. This is about protecting working class citizen. That, as I said before, they they had family. They lived in our district. They lived in New York City, and we don't do it. You know, it's about equity too. We protect the cops and firefighter, MTA workers. We also need to protect working class citizen. And to me, those are retail workers, essential workers that should be treated in the same category. Senator, there's also a push in some other states to increase the value of stolen goods so that it might trigger a felony charge. And is that something that you see as perhaps a, an additional tool in your tool belt, or is that not a line you want to cross? It's something that I could take a look at, but right now my biggest focus is making sure that we're protecting the workers. And it, to your point earlier, it's definitely a mix. You know, we've seen this uptick in shoplifting. There's a reason why you see so many goods and services that are now behind lock and key. And you can go on any website and these big companies are something, this is something also I'm more interested in looking at. 
uh, these big online companies that allow people to steal potentially stolen goods online and make a profit off of it is another issue that I really would like to take a bigger focus on as well. Well, it's always an awkward question to ask about legislation that's in the process of being uh, vetted and debated on. But if this doesn't go through, is there something else that you might be looking at? And Senator, I'll start with you quickly. Of course, I think right now we're in the process, um, both in both of our respective houses of talking to our colleagues about this, trying to garner support. No matter what I think side of the political spectrum you're on, you hear about these issues in your district. So I think it's really important to look at this as a worker safety piece of legislation, just as the way that we protected bus drivers and utility workers. These are essential workers who deserve worker protection just like anyone else. And that's been my pitch to my colleagues. And Assemblyman, same question, about 20 seconds left. Of course, uh, this is a common sense approach. We're trying, as I said before, we're trying to find an immediate resolution to, to, to the situation here to protect working class um, New Yorkers, retail workers that should be treated in the same category. And uh, I feel that with the, uh, you know, different association unions and the speaker and our colleague and the executive chamber, we can get this, you know, moving and make, and make it a reality to protect New Yorkers. But it's always, always something different that we can do as, as right now. It seems that given the real reality of what New Yorkers are facing, this mm -hmm. is, is the best solution possible. Pet lovers across New York are celebrating a new bill recently signed into law by Governor Hochul that protects animal rights. The law, which takes effect in 2024, will ban the sale of dogs, cats, and rabbits at pet stores in New York and place restrictions on how many animals breeders are allowed to sell. Now, several other states already have pet sale bans in place, making New York just the latest to join the fight to end what is called the puppy mill to pet store pipeline and the animal abuse that often comes with it. And joining me now with details on this new law, as well as how it will affect animal enthusiasts and those in the pet sale business, is the deputy majority leader of the New York State Senate, Michael Gennaris. Senator Gennaris is also the original sponsor of this bill. Senator, welcome to Metro Focus. Thanks for having me on, Janet. Absolutely. So first off, tell us, because I sort of touched on the fact that this isn't, of course, uh, limiting people's ability to have access to pets, but what is exactly the purpose of this legislation? Well, the purpose is to save animals and spare them um, the pain and the suffering that they go through uh, at the places where they originate. Uh, we call this the puppy mill, the pipe, to pet store pipeline because uh, when you walk past the pet store on a main road in your neighborhood, you see the puppies dancing in the window and you don't know where they came from or how they got there. But what we do know from doing the research and, and seeing the data is that predominantly they come from puppy mills, often out of state, where these animals are um, essentially treated like commodities. The females that are uh, able to give birth are just uh, utilized over and over again. The babies are kept in cages, mistreated. Uh, we've seen instances where um, females, dogs that were no longer capable of giving birth were just shot, executed on site because the people who run these awful puppy mills uh, don't look at these um, beings as living uh, things. They just look at them as a way to make money and mass produce them and, and send them out to the pet stores, which in effect launder the uh, awful behavior of these puppy mills because 
the consumer doesn't know all this background material. Well, we do know it. Uh, and what we have done now is prohibited these sales um, to spare these animals um, going forward. People will still be able to get their animals. There's so many um, great animals in need of adoption and rescue. I have some myself, um, and I know a lot of other people do. And if people want a particular breed or have specific desires, the law will still allow them to deal directly with a, a breeder that um, the consumer would have to go visit, lay eyes on the facility and see for themselves that the animals are not being mistreated. So we still have options for people um, who uh, want to get a, a pet in different ways. Just the pet store itself will not uh, be among them. So when in the intro, I also mentioned that uh, New York is joining several other states that also have similar bans in place. But I'm wondering, um, first of all, if it's only some states, not all states, then you can still get a pet from a puppy mill. That would be A. And then B, if something this uh, terrible is happening, why is it not banned at a national level? Well, the federal government has, has fallen down on the job, as they do in so many things. In theory, the federal government is regulating these uh, these puppy mills. Uh, they're supposed to, Department of Agriculture is supposed to go there, uh, license them, uh, fine them for violations, et cetera, but they just don't do it. They don't have the resources, they haven't made it a priority, whatever the reason is, the federal government's just not doing it. And because so many of them are out of state, some have asked, why didn't we just go attack the puppy mills directly instead of uh, retail stores? Uh, but because they're out of state, they're out of our jurisdiction. And so what we can do is cut off the demand for these animals at the retail shop level, which are predominantly uh, where they're purchased, um, who makes the purchases from the puppy mill. Um, and so we tackle the problem uh, that way. Other states have done this. They've done it in kind of their own different ways. Uh, and I think it's a pretty effective way to both encourage adoptions. You know, in the, in the animal rights community, there's uh, a saying, adopt, don't shop, uh, mm -hmm. which is meant to encourage people to rescue animals that uh, are wonderful, wonderful animals in their own right. Uh, and discourage people from shopping in a way that encourages the puppy mills to keep uh, producing. Well, again, because I do notice that you keep saying discourage, this doesn't necessarily eliminate. And I'm also wondering, I mean, for some people, perhaps they've got an idea that, you know, uh, at one point it was very popular after that movie 101 Dalmatians came out and a lot of people wanted to get a Dalmatian. And if you really want to buy an animal, you can buy it and it might be cheaper to get one from a puppy mill than it is to adopt. So can you just address the fact that how this discouraging works, even though it doesn't eliminate the problem? Well, fundamentally, the, um, the assumption we're all making is that people, if they knew the hard conditions that these animals were being bred in, would choose not to do that. Um, and so by um, requiring them to deal directly with the breeder, if they still want to use a breeder, the idea is you would see for yourself whether they're being treated humanely uh, or whether they're just a large scale mass production uh, scheme for profit. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is this is a, a measure that protects the consumers themselves uh, because these animals, when they're bred um, inhumanely the way they are, uh, often have health problems. And there's many, many occasions where people have purchased animals from a retail shop only to go home and realize they have to start paying thousands of dollars in veterinary bills because the animal has a defect, a genetic defect, or some kind of um, health uh, problem that uh, results in the need for a tremendous amount of care. Just to give you an example of how uh, uh, these shops have been not really 
focused on the well-being of the animal, the way they're thinking about these animals. We had one on Long Island that had an enforcement action brought against them by the attorney general. It was shut down for a while. Um, and part of the complaints were that they were selling sick animals. Uh, one of the people that bought it complained, and the pet shop owner's uh, response was, well, if you buy an animal that's sick, we'll take it back and, and swap it out for another one, no problem. But these, these are not automobiles or they're not uh, cans of soup you buy on the supermarket shelf that can be exchanged for a better one if you don't like it. These are living things. And to treat them this way uh, really uh, underlines the problem that we're trying to solve here. And I think by cutting off the middleman or the launderer of the bad behavior, in this case, at the retail store level, I think we'll go a long way towards improving things. Well, we've also been, I mean, I myself, I mentioned, uh, you know, Dalmatians as a particular breed. Uh, and we have, of course, been talking about puppy mills. But this bill isn't just about dogs. It extends to cats and rabbits as well. Do is do you find the same problems with uh, cat breeders and rabbit breeders? Of course. I mean, the puppy mills are uh, the most notorious. But, but yes, this occurs uh, across the spectrum. That's why all three of those animals were included. Uh, they are uh, the most common household pets as well. So it, it made sense to uh, to include all, all of them. One other thing I would say, just from the business perspective too, because we've heard that uh, as well, mm -hmm. is the pet, the pet uh, supply and store industry gets 98% of its revenue from things that are not selling of animals. Only 2% of the industry revenue comes from the actual sale of animals. It's mostly uh, pet food, supplies, litter boxes, what have you, all the things that go into having a pet. Costumes, um, yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> Halloween time for sure. Um, but the uh, the fact is, if, if these uh, pet store owners just want to rethink their business model a little bit, they will survive just fine and won't have uh, a real detrimental impact uh, on their business. Uh, but we will be doing uh, uh, immeasurable good to thousands of animals uh, that are currently being mistreated. Okay, because I was going to ask if this could be seen as an anti-business uh, bill, but you just explained that. I'm wondering, though, I mean, uh, dogs, cats, rabbits aren't the only creatures that you might see in a pet store. You can also find reptiles. You can find different breeds of birds. Should something like this extend to them as well? Or is there not the same kind of problematic behavior when it comes to pet stores selling uh, birds and reptiles? Right. I mean, I'm not aware of an iguana mill that does the same kind of mistreatment that these uh, other mills do. But if uh, there is evidence of that, um, then I'm certainly open to having that conversation and, and moving forward. We've done a lot of good in New York uh, since we've taken the Senate majority, interestingly enough, to protect animals. We're the first state in the country to ban cat declawing, which is an inhumane uh, procedure. We've improved the standards for shelters. Um, and this, uh, this puppy mill, anti-puppy mill bill, uh, is probably the flagship uh, law that we've passed since that time to um, improve uh, improve the lives of our loved ones, really, because that's what they are when they become members of our families. Um, if there's more work to be done, we're ready to roll up our sleeves and keep doing it. Well, speaking of more work to be done, uh, this seems, at least based on what you described, like the kind of legislation that should be a slam dunk in Albany. But anyone who's paid any attention to Albany knows that's not necessarily a thing. So did you receive any pushback? And can you tell us what the reasoning was? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like you've asked some very good informative questions in this interview. And I think a lot of legislators uh, initially when they hear about this have the same questions. And so it, it did take some time to educate people. Uh, uh, there are arguments about the businesses, there are arguments about cho people's choice and animal and the way they attain an animal. 
Um, but at, at root, what you find out once you dig into it is there is not a pet store in existence that sells animals that is not uh, affected by the puppy mill industry and somehow encourages the uh, or purchases from them or encourages that profit procedure to keep going. And so uh, it's funny, it passed uh, in both houses by wide bipartisan margins. It almost never happens these days with Democrats <laughs> and Republicans alike to get together. But I guess saving puppies and kittens is, is the one issue that still brings everyone together. Uh, but once you, it took a couple of years to get it done, but once you educate people, uh, they all were supportive. I used to tell folks who were concerned about the businesses, give me the name of a store in your district. And they would, and we'd look up their records and there was not a one that was not um, getting their animals from puppy mills that had horrible, horrible um, activities occurring uh, uh, as part of their uh, production of animals. And so it didn't take too long once you get to that point to get everyone behind it. Uh, I'm glad the governor also agreed and signed in. So we're, we're now one of the leading states in protecting uh, our, our dogs and cats and rabbits. Well, Senator, we're almost out of time here. We've got about a minute left, but uh, with all this positive energy and cooperation that I'm hearing coming out of Albany, at least on this issue, is there anything else that uh, you're working on that you would want to share with us that is at least seemingly moving towards the finish line? Well, we just started our new session, so there's a lot, lot to come in the next few months, but uh, the creation of a true affordable housing is something that is a priority for me. Uh, I know the governor's mentioned it as well, so we'll see when she presents her budget, what details she has in her proposal. Um, fixing the MTA and getting it on sound financial footing, uh, not just year to year with the Band-Aid approach that we've been taking, but uh, a real a solid investment in our mass transit uh, are two of the things I'll be looking, on, uh, looking at in the next couple of months as our session unfolds. And of course, everything is interconnected. So how closely is Albany watching what does or does not happen in Washington when it comes to uh, the debt ceiling? Uh, a great deal. I mean, we're watching uh, Washington for so many things. And we just had a fight over um, our uh, highest court here in New York, our Court of Appeals. There's a chief mm -hmm. judge uh, nominee that we just uh, rejected. Uh, because uh, the states and the state court system are becoming all the more important as our federal government, uh, particularly the U.S. Supreme Court, is uh, going backwards and pushing a lot of these decisions that we thought were protected federally back onto the states. Uh, and so there's, uh, there's no question we're linked to whatever happens uh, at the federal government, but we're ready to do our work here in New York. All right. Well, Senator, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Metro Focus, definitely for fighting the good fight for animals. And please join us again with any updates on what's to come from Albany. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to Metro Focus. You can take our award-winning program with you wherever you go with Metro Focus, the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Or simply ask your smart speaker to play Metro Focus, the podcast. Also available at metrofocus.org, WLIW.org slash radio, and on the NPR One app. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, Philemon M. D'Agostino Foundation, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold, Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin.
tonight at 8 on the WNET Group Stations. On 13, Nature, born in the Rockies, first steps. On WLIW 21, The Carol Burnett Show, Carol's Favorites. On NJPBS, Drive-By History. On All Arts, Leonard Cohen, Dance Me. On World, Independent Lens Continues. On Create, Lydia's Kitchen. On 13 PBS Kids, Cyber Chase. Go to WNET.org slash watch for channel information. Go east on Sunrise Highway and turn left and... When COVID-19 attacked America, Dr. Tony Fauci led in the research for treatments and vaccines. All went in, the whole dose? Yes, sir. Never mind the protests. Decades ago, he led in the fight against AIDS. Never mind those protests. Even back then, there were conspiracy theorists. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> nothing new. And that's Dr. Tony Fauci. Let's hear it for Dr. Fauci. I'm a scientist and a physician. On American Masters. Thursday night at 8 on WLIW 21. Europe in 1845. The potato crop is wiped out in one week. It led to a famine that killed a million Irish. Horrendous choices to me. The only option was to bury them in mass graves. Historians uncover the causes. The famine is not an accident. Basically, condemnation to starvation. The whole system killed people. Disaster from